How many know the name of that old hymn right there? How many know what it is? What was it? Who? Is that what it was, Eddie? Glory to his name. Well, you know how it is. <laughs> Sometimes they don't get it centered just right anyway. Anybody up here drank out of this? Must be mine then. That was pitiful. Just pitiful. All that hard work, you should have got some more out of that, wouldn't you think? How many of you like change? It's good. How many of you know how often you should change your bed sheets? Is it once every 90 days? If you do that, just change them and throw them away. How many know that, uh, that some women change clothes four times before they ever leave the house? How many of you are married to a woman it takes her an hour to get ready before you go anywhere? Change. <clears throat> I want to talk briefly. We're not used to that. Um, 18 or 1783, June the 4th, little village uh, not far from Paris. Uh, they uh, had a, a bonfire raised on a raised up platform and they had what's called a silk fabric called taffeta. And the bonfire was under the, uh, the 33 foot in diameter taffeta, it was like a balloon. And they uh, kept the fire going until individuals gathered and wondered, what, what nutcase is doing this? What's this all about? And they watched and watched until the, uh, the ropes holding that 33-foot-in-diameter taffeta down, it began to pull on the ropes. And as it began to pull on the ropes, it began to change the minds of some of the individuals, and it became clear to them what they were trying to do. And so after a while, they continued to fan the fire, and finally, there was enough until the ropes were really strained and tight holding it down. They cut, cut them loose. And what we would know today is the hot air balloon just rose, it went about 6,000 feet up in the air. And people were amazed. It was the first uh, opportunity for human travel and something of that nature. And people were, all the skeptics had to join in because the proof is in the pudding. We now know why they were doing such a crazy thing. It had never been done before, never been seen before. No one Googled it back in 1783. Found out that it had been done before, and it rose about, uh, I don't know, 6,000 feet in the air and went a couple of miles away and then just kind of landed in a field. And in the field, the peasants out there were working, so the story goes, and they had pitchforks. And they ran toward it and took their pitchforks 
and shredded it. I mean, totally shredded it because they thought, what evil force has landed in our field? It was nothing more than the first of hot air balloons that were created because they didn't know about it. Change took place, and it changed flight and history and aeronautics forever. There are a lot of things in life that we don't understand. Say amen. A lot of things that we'll never understand, and we uh, waste our time trying to do that. Jesus was a change agent. And being a change agent, what would you do? You're the Son of God. You're born. You, of course, uh, are raised in a wonderful little household. Your mama's looked down upon. Your dad, the keeper, uh, Joseph, of course, is earthly father and raising. Looked down upon because the start of that birth was unusual. And you fight, of course, and... Uh, you travel, and at 12 years of age or so, you're in the temple, and you have this unique skill set that you're able to teach. But what you're teaching as an individual, Jesus, the Son of God, is really challenging the status quo. It's challenging the basic principles of religion. Someone said to me today, now there's somebody that I know that attends your church, they are not religious at all. I thought, well, that's a compliment if they're not religious at all. But what he meant was, they're not religious and they're not followers of Jesus Christ either, but they come to your church. Well, okay. And he said, I found out that we're going to have to make them religious. He, of course, never goes to church. Hadn't been in a long time, but he's going to make them religious. And I thought, that's a mindset to believe that religion is the answer. Jesus is saying, that's wrong. Now, I know some of you reasonably well. Some of you have a stubborn streak about that wide running right down the middle of your back. Anybody know anybody like that? And for you to change, you to change, it takes a lot of effort to change your old stubborn mind on about anything. Now you say, no, there's a lot of things you probably could change my mind on. But don't try to change my mind about the way that I worship. Don't try to change my mind about the religious law. And this was the mindset of many of the Jews in Jesus' day because Every time you turned around in his teaching, he is challenging them, not about the way they do life, not about the way they do marriage, not about the way that they do their uh, professional activities, but he's changing their mindset about, about religion and about relationship, that no longer is a lamb necessary to be able to bring penance and give you an opportunity to offer a sacrificial lamb and the blood of that lamb and that perfect lamb. Jesus is saying, hey, you don't have to do that anymore. Well, hey, you're trying to change my mind and all my life and my family's life and our lineage all the way back from the beginning of time. That's what we have believed. So don't come marching in here telling me about that you think that you are the Lamb of God, 
that there's only one supreme sacrifice. And Jesus is challenging that and saying, hey, in order for you to embrace eternity and to make it, offering a lamb and the blood of the lamb on an altar is not going to be acceptable. What you're going to have to do is confess with your mouth that you are a sinner and confess that Jesus Christ, the one and only Lamb of God, died for your sins, and then you have a chance, an opportunity to be assured of a place in eternity. Do you see how mind-boggling that kind of change would be? That kind of change would be. Change was consistent in the theme of Jesus' ministry, and it continued to be consistent. He taught that new law, and the disciples asked in one occasion this. One of the Pharisees and one of the law keepers said, Why do the disciples of John and the Pharisees fast and pray prayers of repetition, and your disciples do not? You're supposed to be of the same family, the same religious persuasion. Why is it that, why is it that John and his disciples, why do they why do they do the repetitive prayers, and why is it that they fast? And Jesus answered, hey, can a wedding party require the guests to fast and to pray at the party? Can that, can that individual request the guests to come to the wedding reception of the party, and hey, we've got all this food, all this celebration here, and we want you to fast and pray? Repetitious prayers were a, a religious practice. And this religious practice was not necessary, what Jesus was saying, it is not necessary when you have the master of the universe in your presence. There'll be a time for you to fast and a time for you to pray when I am gone. But right now, celebrate the fact that the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one that has the power to turn water into wine is among you. Celebrate him right here and right now. They didn't catch that. You'll fast and pray after I, the bridegroom, have departed, but not now. And then he shares another parable that they're all familiar with. He shares the parable in our text there in Luke the fifth chapter, verse number 36, he said, don't patch an old garment with a patch of a new one. Don't patch it. Don't patch an old garment with a patch of a new one. Wow. Now, I'll give you a little inside secret. I have one key is all I have. It's here. I don't have a keychain with 30 keys on it. I don't have it here. I'm just smooth. <laughs> one key. But this one key eventually will wear a hole in my pocket. I carry this key, three quarters, two dimes, one nickel, and four pennies. That's what I carry every day in my pocket. I have 99 cents worth of change. Does that make sense to you? Why? If you want 100 cents, I have a dollar. But three quarters. But over a period of time, this key wears a hole in my pocket. It should, don't you think? In my pocket. 
Here's what I do. Sharon doesn't know this. Yet. How many remember the patch that you can buy at Walmart? Here's what I do. If it's a pair of trousers, I really like, and I like them all, the ones that fit. If a hole gets in my pocket, I don't fret. I don't go to the cleaners and say, do you mind patching up the hole in my pocket? I do eventually after three patches. Sometimes I put a patch on a patch. But I cut me out a patch, take my pocket out, put that patch in there. I've learned to do it really well and patch up that pocket and it is good as new. Good as new. The cleaners say, do you know you have patches on your pocket? I said, yeah. Pretty good job. I did that myself. I believe in patches. How many of you do? Because I was a kid, I had patches on a lot of my pants. Today, I wouldn't need them at all. You buy them with holes in them. And some of them, there are patches not big enough to patch them up. So he says, don't patch an old garment with a patch of a new one. Here's why. And don't pour new wine into an old wineskin. Why is that? If you don't understand the process, when a goat or a lamb was killed, the flesh and bones of the animal removed, leaving the skin intact. In other words, you didn't do as we used. I won't get in because I was a son of a butcher. So I can tell you how to butcher. It matter, well, anyway, I won't even go there because that gets gory. But they would take the flesh and the bone out and leave the skin intact. So I have to, they'll have to sew it up. And, and the new wine would be poured into a fresh, dried skin. And as the wine fermented, what would the skin do? The new skin. It would expand because that wine would, in fact, under pressure, expand. And Jesus indicated that. And he said, if you pour new wine into an old skin that's already stretched, and you pour the new wine in, how much more stretching are you going to be able to get out of an old wine skin? So he said, here's what you're going to do. You're setting yourself up for failure. It will fail. It will fail. In other words, don't try to take the Old Testament and some of the principles that you said and say, hey, if we don't have Jesus who is the supreme ruler of the universe and is the sacrificial lamb, and we still, we still want to put a, a lamb on the altar and bleed the blood out, and we're still going to stay with that. He said, listen, it is wrong. It will not work. You see, here's some things that I know about change in my life. I have reached 55 years of age, so I know about change. One, change is inevitable. You believe that? Illustration. Everything continues in a state of rest unless it is compelled to change by forces impressed upon it. How many of you have had to change not because you wanted to, but because you knew you had to? You with me? Some of you didn't raise your hand. I'll ask you one more time, give you a chance to be in the flock. Everything continues in a state of rest 
Unless it is compelled to change, my forces impressed upon it. How many of you have ever changed? Not because you wanted to, but because you were forced to. Look at culture today. Who started? Who started the trend with holy jeans? Who did? And all of a sudden it caught on. Who started the trend where it's better just to shave all your hair off and have none? Our guys around here in our youth division, on one month or one six months or one year, they've all got shaved heads. And then I look, and they've got these razor parts running right down the side of their heads. There must be a new change here going on among the youth guys. But who starts all that stuff? Change sometimes in our lives, in church, in culture, and society is inevitable. Ecclesiastes 3.1, there's a time for everything, a season for every activity unto heaven. Number two, change is threatening. Sometimes I don't like change. I am forced into change. Sometimes I come in and the furniture is moved. It's inevitable. Now, I used to long years ago. I'd say, put that chair right back over there where it was. That's my chair if you don't mind. You can't win. You can't win. You move it back. You come in the next day. The next, after work, guess where the chair went? Right back over there. Some change is inevitable, and you just love to accept it, and change is threatening. Threatening. Ecclesiastes 2.18, I hated all the things that I have toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. Some change I, I just don't like. Number three, change is emotional. It is emotional. John 14, 5, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? It upsets me. You're saying we're going to go where you are going to be? How in the world are we going to know? What does that mean? What does that mean? Change is necessary to grow. It really is. It's necessary to grow. Change is not necessarily bad. In fact, change is normal. Change is really a sign of life if it takes place. The medical definition of death, you know what it is? It's a body that does not change. That's death, a body that does not change. So how does that work from a spiritual perspective? What is God saying to you and to me about our spirit man? He's saying, I want you to grow. I want you to mature. I don't want you to be sucking the bottle five years from now. I want you off the bottle. I want you on meat. I want you to be able to be prepared emotionally and not let it threaten you. I want you to be able to understand that music changes, culture changes, churches change. I want you to understand that everything around you has changed. And if you stick your feet in the mud and say, I will not change, guess what? Here's what's going to happen. You're going to get left behind. Left behind. You see, your stomach lining undergoes a complete change every five days. Did you know it? Your liver every six weeks. Skeletal tissue every three months. Your whole body every five years for men. Every seven years for women. So, sir, if you're looking in the mirror and you're thinking, what happened I have chest of drawers. My chest has dropped down to my drawers. (laughs) 
What are you going to do about it? Die. <laughs> you ladies, change takes place for you every seven years. You get more beautiful every seven years. <laughs> I cannot tell a lie. <laughs> it is. It's inevitable. That change takes place. We understand that our world today is in a warped speed of change. How many of you knew, remember what it was like to call somebody up and actually talk to them on the phone? How many remember those days? Now you text them. Why don't you just pick the phone up and tell me what it is you want? I'm a one-finger texter. Hello? I don't have the ability to sit there and go, like that, like my grandkids do. I'm a one-finger texter. It's all I just call me up. Or here it is, no more hard copies. Go down to Watson Clinic. Well, we don't have a hard copy. Just pull it up on the screen. Everybody understand what I'm talking about? How many like those kind of changes? May I see your hand? Just what I thought all of you do. It happens when we change the communion cups because the other ones were so messy, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, my Lord, have mercy. You, you take the spirit out of communion. Now you hand us little plastic cups. I can't even figure out how to get the top off. I don't like it. Well, guess what? <laughs> Who knows what we might come up five years from now? Might just give everybody a single glass with one straw. Oh, you don't even have to open it up. <laughs> It's different. So here's what we know. Change spiritually. I do not want to be the same person spiritually a year from now that I am now. But I want to tell you something. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Physically. You're going to change because that's how you were created to change. Mentally, you're going to change. As you get older, so I'm told, you're not necessarily mentally as sharp as you might have been when you were 55 or when you were 35. Oh, you got more wisdom, so you have to read a lot. You have to study a lot and make the brain stay busy. But mentally, you're going to change. 1 Corinthians 13, 11, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, and when I became a man, I put away childish ways, I put those things behind me. But if you live long enough, you'll start talking like a child again. And they'll be changing your diaper just like they did when you were six months old, so I'm told. But he said the maturity process is all change. Here's something else I learned. Change is not always necessary, thank God. It's not always necessary. Malachi 3, verse 6, I, the Lord, do not change. Amen? Say it with me. I am the same. I am the same yesterday. Today, 
and forever. I change not. Here's another thing. Change is not necessary. This book is not going to change. It is the same. It's God's Word. Don't try to change it. I saw an ad. Just get this now. On Swingers for Jesus, I saw the video. I thought, that's rather interesting. It showed two men and their accompanying spouses. And this one man and his wife who go to the gym and work out, they had her dress like unbelievable. A 60-year-old woman tried to look like a 29-year-old woman without the spanks. but they're swingers for Jesus. He said, if you want to reach other swingers, you have to get into the swinging ministry. In other words, we invite another couple over to our home and we change partners. And in that moment, we tell them about Jesus. And we give them the good news. And it would not be possible for us to be able to do that if we did not believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and the ministry God has given us as swingers. And until God tells me and tells us, now they have thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people buying in to that basic belief system. Well, this book doesn't change. I almost, I just almost, I thought, God, they're pulling me in. Really, comment. Almost pull me in. But I wasn't of the right spirit. And I thought, you're a nut. If you think God hasn't already told you what the Bible says about purity, about holiness, all of those things, you and your swinging ministry, you're going to go down swinging if you're not careful. But understand that they thought, hey, this is a new ministry. This is a new change. If it violates the basic principles of God's Word that does not change, I don't care what your ministry is. It is not of the Lord. Somebody say amen. God's Word doesn't change. And there are some absolute principles that do not change. And let me give an illustration of that for a moment. Alan Shepard, how many remember him? There you go. Alan Shepard, very first astronaut, space, was asked by a reporter just before he got in the capsule. Here it is. What is the one thing you're depending on most in this space venture? That's a good question. What is, the, what is the one thing you're depending on most in this space venture? And his answer was this. I'm depending on the fact that God's laws never change. That's what I'm depending on. I'm depending on God's laws never to change. He said, what if the rotation of the earth were inconsistent? What if gravity reversed every other day? When he made the whole universe, he established a universal law, and they never change him. They never have him. They never will. That's why we can study science and understand because science is predictable. It is the creation of God, the law of God that does not change. What goes up 
must come down. So some change, we thank God, is not necessary. Here is what is important. The character of the universe and the character of the church and the character of people must never change from the reflection of the person of Jesus Christ. Finally, change that is necessary yet neglected will destroy past achievements and present potential. Listen carefully. This is touchy. Organizations, people, and churches that fail to change not from the message but often from the method get left behind. If any church does not change to the degree to where you're drawing young families in and youth in will eventually die off. It will. It cannot be sustained. And that's why it's so meticulous to matriculate in to the systems of church or organization to say, what is that that keeps me competitive? What is it in my business? Because there's always, you know what today? Walmart came in like a storm. I had to remember that. But they came to figure out that somebody came along and said, you can order stuff online. And you don't have to go down to Walmart anymore and get what you want. You can order it right online. And you don't have to go in Walmart anymore and buy your groceries. You can call and get online, order your groceries, and then pull up to where it says you can get it, and they'll deliver it to your car, and you can pay with your credit card if you haven't already paid. This is what it's going to cost you. What change? One of the beauties of life are churches and individuals who understand, hey, I'm not going to change the message. Our family is going to remain the same. The, the methods of how we deal with issues and how we accomplish things in this life to stay competitive in a market today that is important. We have to be big enough, wise enough, and smart enough to do that. And then finally, the second time. Change will not necessarily happen accidentally. It won't accidentally happen. I must anticipate some changes that need to be made in my life in my business, in our church. Happen accidentally, it must be planned. Are we going to deal with that issue in the future? It must be calculated. How can we change to calculate the difference? Jim Campbell, Radio Training Network, probably has, I don't know, 20, 30 stations maybe, maybe more. But if you don't think that's a competitive market with a Christian message, to try to anticipate what the audience enjoys hearing in the Christian community. You'd be dead wrong. You'd be dead wrong. Last Sunday night, we had a church full of people to listen to the group that we had, and they were phenomenally talented. But can I tell you something? Not many young families at all came. Not many young people came. You know what they say? That's for all you old people. I say, nobody's old around here. But here's what else I know. That same old people that was here last Sunday night,
to hear the Collinsworth family. That group that was here last Sunday night, let me give you a little yard talk. They ain't coming to hear Big Daddy weave. (laughs) Big Daddy who? Big Daddy weave. A sought-after contemporary presenter of the good news through song. And I'm saying, who in the name of the Lord said to him, you ought to call yourself Big Daddy Weave? But I'm not in charge. Big Daddy Weave. But it is attractive to that age group. So those changes have to be calculated And you have to be able to say, if it's in your business, if it's in your family, all of those things you have to say, we have to calculate what the future. And then you have to be flexible. Amen? Be flexible. Blessed be the flexible. Amen? Blessed be the flexible. That's wonderful. So you understand why are you should you be flexible as it relates to change? Because if you're stiff, and you can't be flexible, you're going to break. You're going to break. I talked with someone this week challenged in the marriage. And the statement was made, I don't want to be, I'm tired of being manipulated by my spouse. Tired of being manipulated. You want to know what my comments were? Every love relationship has a certain amount of manipulation. If you expect to have a vibrant, lively relationship without any manipulation whatsoever, it's human nature. But ain't it fun to get manipulated by somebody that loves you? Hello, y'all with me? I hope you are. Norm, are you with me out there? I'm going to say something. You're going, you're going to get manipulated. So if you say, I never want to be manipulated, then don't have any relationship. How many ever have people drop your name if they need something from somebody else? That happens to me all the time. We have more members who've never darkened the door of this church that use Victory Church in a manipulative way than anybody you ever want to see. Call it Pastor Blackman. You know who they are. They say they're a member of your church, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Said they're close friends of yours. I barely know my own relatives. (laughs) Here it is. Learn to be flexible. If you're inflexible, you're in trouble. Jesus was about to change things. And his illustration was simple. He said, if the new wine reacts as nature created it, (coughs) and if the old wine skins react as they naturally do, then there will be a negative reaction. He said, the wine will ferment, building pressure and, exp- pressure and expand, and the wineskins will not expand any further than what they already are, and the situation is a sure disaster. And often in life, we become so comfortable and inflexible that when the opportunity for change confronts us, we miss the mark. These are the last days. Our message is not going to change. But our desire to serve God, we talk about small groups. 
What are we doing building community? You say, I don't need community anymore. You know what we did years ago? How many remember when homes had front porches and there was no television in them? Are you with me? And no air conditioning. How many of you were raised in a home that had no air conditioning? My Lord, you're ancient. How many had a ceiling fan? You turn on that fan and it drew the, anybody? Come on, help me out now. Sure, I understand. How many had a bathroom inside the house? Then I'm assuming the rest of you had it on the outside. I'm glad they bought the bathroom in the house. Amen? I'm glad that we had air conditioning. But you know how community was? Community was, we don't have television to take up all our time. We don't have air conditioning and the modern conveniences. So here's what we do. We integrate in the community. We know who our neighbor is. We come on, you want to borrow a cup of sugar? Sure, that's fine. You sit on the front porch and you would talk and you would relate. And you know what's happening today? We close ourselves off that our, we don't know who our neighbors happen to be uh, explicitly. And we don't understand that. And so we have the air conditioning, we have the television, and pray tell, the television, you have the iPad, you have the iPhone, all those. Why do you need to know anybody? And yet the world out there is saying, we want community. We don't know anybody at church. And we say, what's working across America in major churches that are reaching all age brackets? We're trying to push people into study of small groups. Get to know your brother and your sister in the Lord. Some have said, I don't like that. It's okay. Be flexible. Give it a try. As we understand life and Christianity, it's like anything else. We have to make ourselves available and say, God, what in all of this is it that you can use me? When we started streaming online, I had individuals say, well, you're just giving them an opportunity to stay home. Hi, y'all. Miss y'all up here tonight. God bless you. Giving them opportunity. People are going to do what they want to do no matter what you do. Have you figured that out? But what do we do if we can reach one more soul for Jesus? We do our best to get it out there and we leave the rest to God. How about that? Amen? We love that. We leave the rest to God. So don't be afraid of change. It's all a part of our life. And let's learn to change about our own selves and look inside our heart. And may we seek God for a fresh touch of his spirit and remember that he never changes. But he gives me the opportunity to be able to change every day to draw nigh and closer to him. Amen? Let's stand, give the Lord a clap offering and see if we can't change our positions. Here we go. Come on now. Put your hands together. I told David Carla, how many remember the closing song in every Billy Graham crusade? Do you remember what it was? Who? Just as I am. I told Carlisle this morning before the first service, in honor of Billy Graham, I want to close with just as I am this morning. Just as I am. Without one plea. Friend, we live in a world today that is not controlled by the will of the enemy. If you choose to believe that, you will negate your efforts in being used by God 
to be a bright light shining in the midst of darkness. Amen? You will. You will. May we as a church, you as a family, you business, think about, God, what areas of my life do I need to adjust and make a change? And God, am I so stubborn in my head that I can't grasp anything? Am I so bent on my way that I'm not willing to change? If you're going to have a relationship, grandpa and grandma, with your grandkids, you're going to have to change a little bit. You're going to have to understand their language. You're going to understand what they enjoy, what they appreciate. Come here, you little devil. You didn't show up for church today? Now, won't you come sit with me next Sunday? And one of my granddaughters sat with me right up there two or three, four Sundays ago. Beautiful gal, lover to death, 22 years of age, long blonde hair. You know what the word out there was? Who's that girl up there was sitting with pastor? Was that a new woman in his life? Really? It's just my grandbaby. You see what I'm saying? You know what you want to do? Here's what you want. You want to chase that kind of stuff down and finally never, anyway. How many know what I'm talking about? What a pleasure we have. We have the best of the best. You want contemporary music, Christian? Joy FM, load up on it. You want to prepare for the greatest catastrophe if the church isn't raptured? Get on to Jim Baker. He'll sell you freeze-dried food. How many understand what I'm talking about? All I want to be is one little light in the midst of darkness and enjoy my ride and say, God, don't let me be so inflexible and don't let me be so stubborn that I miss having a good old fun day in serving you in Jesus' name. I'm telling you, it's a great experience. Father, in your name, we commit this service to you. We commit the balance of these few moments to you. And we say thank you. We know that you have hit us with a little bit of the word. You have touched us with a little bit of humor. You have entertained us a little bit. And you've challenged us. And we want to take what we've heard and what we heard that we heard in our spirit. And we want you to speak to us. And we want to be able to address it. Help us. And just in case... There's some listening online or some of you in this room that your heart's not right with Jesus. We're going to give you a chance right now just to repent and say a sinner's prayer. Here we go. Would you repeat it after me, everybody together? Dear Lord Jesus, Dear Lord Jesus forgive, me. forgive me. I have sinned. I have, sinned. I have messed up. I have blown it, and I need redemption. So come into my heart. Lord Jesus, you died for me, and I will not let your death go to waste. Your blood cleanses me from all unrighteousness. So just as I am, I call on you now. In Jesus' name, I am sorry. Amen. 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 So here you go. We're going to have a moment of worship here. And if you need prayer in your body, or you prayed that prayer, this is one of the things that we do. Well, when you give the altar, some churches have given up on that because they think it's a, it's a, a, a tradition of man. Well, can you argue with me just for a moment? When did it ever not be a good thing to do to come to the altar? When? 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 
Billy Graham didn't believe in that. When he gave an altar call, brother and sister, they flooded by the thousands. You go overseas to our missionaries and they give altar calls, they flood in there by the thousands. By the thousands. May the church never get too big that we cannot say, boy, I can't wait to get in that altar. If you need to get here and the Holy Spirit's pushing you, come on down right now. Here we go. We're going to sing.